But I want to I want to mention another song that when we say promises, this is probably the song that pops into your head. Certainly a hymn that probably everybody in here knows, and that is standing on the promises. And I'm going to read a couple of verses from that. And the, uh, I think the first verse goes like this: Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. And you know the chorus. Stand, you can sing it with me if you want to. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Good job. Listen to this verse. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises. Promises that cannot fail. Listen to that. Promises that cannot fail. Promises that can keep me from falling. Those are, that's life-giving right there. Now, I'm a human being, if any of you ever wondered. I am a human being. And so I'm thinking about promises, and I'm thinking, I wish that could be said about me and the promises that I make. I wish that people could always stand on the promises that William Church makes. And probably the people who know better than anybody that they, that they, that they sometimes can't count on our promises, and this is awful to say, I know, but are our kids, our children. We need to be very, very careful about the promises that we make to our children. Has anybody ever found that to be a true statement? Be careful what you promise. <clears throat> because if you promise that you're going to do something for them, if you promise that you're going to take them somewhere, or if you promise that you're going to get them something, and you don't do it for whatever reason, you got busy, uh, you forgot, uh, you're distracted, what, what are they going to say to you? But you promised. But you promised. Why would they say that? There, there's, because, you did, because you did promise, and they're counting on you and me as parents to stand on the promises that we make. That's what we make them for, to stand on, right? To keep and to stand on. But again, as I mentioned already, I'm human. I make mistakes. I, I get busy. I, I get distracted. Um, and I fall short. And, you know, I, I, I need to be held responsible uh, when, I, when I make a promise that I don't keep. And if you want to make sure that, some, that you're held responsible for the promises that you make, then ha have your kids around you all the time they'll make sure that you are you promise this and you promise that but you know god does not suffer from the same problem that i have because he keeps every promise he is almighty he is powerful uh, he is divine uh, he is god and so if he makes a promise by his very character and by his very nature he has to keep it and it's a good thing that he does that. He's, he's perfect in that way. So 
to know the promises of God, we've got to read the word of God. And when we read the word of God and we read the promises of God, then we know we can count on those promises and do exactly what that hymn said. We can stand on those promises. Now, we can go back to the Old Testament and we can see even God himself saying, you can count on me. You can count on my promises. In Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, we're not going to turn there, but in the book of Isaiah in chapter 46, he says, what I have said, I will bring about. And what I have planned, I'm going to do that. He said it in verse four, or chapter 14 as well. He said, surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will stand. So God stands on the promises that he makes. And the people in the Old Testament, they learned to rely on God. And they learned to rely on God's promises. Just like hopefully you and I in the New Testament church have learned and are learning to stand on the promises that God makes to us. Back in the 119th Psalm, speaking of the Old Testament people, in the 119th Psalm, the writer there talked about how his promises had been thoroughly tested. Thoroughly tested. And your servant loves them. When I see that thoroughly tested, I think about, was it the Samsonite commercials where the gorilla used to take the suitcase and pound it on the ground and throw it around and try to destroy it? And it survived the testing. You know what I'm talking about? Or how about, uh, is it the Timex watch? Takes a licking, keeps on ticking. This is God's promises times a million. Because he, they've been thoroughly tested. And, and your servant loves them. Um, in Psalm 145, David said this. You're faithful to your promises. And you're loving to all that you have made. So the Old Testament people relied on the promises of God and they relied so much on the promises of God that it affected the way that they prayed it affected the way that they prayed so when they would pray they would begin their prayer with praise praising God for what he had created praising God for something that he had done very much like you and I pray today but then they would mention a promise that God had made and then based on that promise they would ask God, they would give God their requests. So they weren't, real, they weren't nagging God or they weren't saying, no, you said this, so you got to do this. They weren't saying that. They were saying, hey, we have seen you make this promise and keep this promise, so we're just going to stay here and watch as you do what you do. And as we give you these requests, we'll wait and see what you're going to do about them. And God would answer their prayers. But here's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament for us today. And that is that Scripture tells us in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, that the ministry that Jesus has received is founded on better promises. So as good as the promises are for the Old Testament saints, we've got something that's even better in our day and time. Aren't you glad despite the pandemic and everything that has gone on the past two years, aren't you glad you're living now instead of in biblical times? Are you? How would you like to go to no indoor plumbing, you know, uh, no Walmart on, in every town, no Dollar General on every corner? I mean, come on. 
We don't want to live. We don't want to live in those times. But in Hebrews chapter eight, the ministry that Jesus has received is founded on better promises. And in Second Peter, this is what Peter tells us: His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So this is what he has promised us, and this is what he has given us. He has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. We have everything that we need. So when we sing songs like, All that I need is you, Jesus, and you're all that I need, we can say that with assurance. Because if all we have is Jesus, we've got everything that we need. So what kind of promises are we going to talk about this morning? I asked you earlier, have you got a, have you got a favorite? Maybe it's one of these that we're going to talk about in the book of Acts. And our scripture for today, Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 4 through 11 this morning. So let's begin at Acts chapter 1, verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken from you, unto heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So we've got lots of promises in the word of God, but we're going to talk about three specific promises that we have in the scripture that I just read here. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what those are before we talk about them. And maybe one of these is your favorite. But the first thing that he promised is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing that he promised is the power, promise of power through the Holy Spirit. And this third one is probably on a lot of people's favorite list, uh, maybe at the top of your list of favorite promises. One day he is going to come and take us to heaven. Now, that's that's pretty exciting. Uh, that really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Uh, if I'm looking forward to that, and, you know, knowing that God's with me and I've got that to look forward to, I believe we can make it through just about anything that this world has to offer. Maybe just about anything that the enemy would throw at me to trip me up. So let's talk about those promises because it's important to know more than just what the promise is, but what does it mean to us? 
So let's look at that first one. All important, so important. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 4 it said, Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So he said, For the promise of the Father. Can you show me somewhere else what the promise of the Father is here? And I can, and it's in the book of Joel. And this is what it says in the book of Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And this should, re <laughs> this should really mean so much to us. When we become Christians, when we, when we get saved, when we give our lives to Christ, when we open up our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and accept Him as Lord and Savior, then what happens in that moment is we receive the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about here, the Holy Spirit. And it was very powerfully demonstrated. When, it, when this first happened, it was very powerfully demonstrated on Pentecost with the disciples, with the apostles, when they were in an upper room and they were gathered together and there was a mighty rushing wind that came in and then Scripture says that something like tongues of fire came and rested on them and they were able to speak in languages that they had never learned. Now this is a very powerful display of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that He did and it, and it, and it had great repercussions because as they were able to to speak and preach and praise in languages of the people, this crowd that gathered began to listen and they began to hear and they began to understand what was being said in their native tongue that these men that should have absolutely no knowledge of these languages were able to preach in. So that was a very powerful showing of the Holy Spirit. Amazing that that took place. And one of the, one of the neatest uh, stories, I think, in the New Testament. And then after this happened, Peter gets up and Peter begins to preach. And what Peter is preaching about is, is what was taking place at that moment. And he was talking about the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was talking about the prophecies of the Old Testament that were speaking about what they were going through right then. And, and the prophecies of the Old Testament talks about the Messiah. The prophecies that pointed to the Messiah. Who was the Messiah? Well, Peter was telling him. Jesus is the Messiah. And they, he talked about how Jesus was sent by God and he preached and he taught. And he performed wonderful, miraculous signs and miracles. And then he was mistreated and he was crucified. And then he ultimately rose again. That's the gospel message right there. And so the crowd... At, at that moment, as Peter was preaching, heard him say that the reason that this happened to Jesus was because of them. And it would be like me saying, it's because of you that Jesus was crucified. And I'll just go ahead and say it. It was because of you that Jesus was crucified. And it was because of me that Jesus was crucified. And the people, having witnessed what they had witnessed and heard the powerful message, 
were convicted because that's what the Word of God does. And they were convicted. And they said, what can we do? What can we do? And Peter's response was this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So the, the Holy Spirit introduced himself on Pentecost two different ways. He introduced himself through the disciples to that powerful display of them being able to speak in different tongues. But the other way was, was really not quite as flashy, we could say. The other way was what Peter said. Peter said that the Spirit was God's gift for those who believed. The Holy Spirit is God's gift for those who will believe. And the Holy Spirit is God's mark on you and me. It's how he marks us. We're sealed with it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tells us this. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the deposit that guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So the, the Holy Spirit is, I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit, and it's a promise for that day that's coming when I will no longer be living on this earth and dealing with the fallen world in a fallen situation, and I will be in his presence forever. That's a guarantee, and it's sealed, and it can't be broken. It's a seal that cannot be broken. It is the Holy Spirit as a mark showing that I belong to the Holy Spirit or belong to God. And his spirit inside of me is a promise. And what kind of a promise is it? Well, I've already told you. It's a promise. I'm sealed to the day that he comes and gets me. But it's also a promise that is so important. And it means something in every season of your life to know this. It is a promise that he is always going to be with me. Always going to be with me. And this can't be said enough because I don't know how many times growing up I was taught or heard or felt like that he did leave me because, because he couldn't stand to be around me. I, I, I was taught that when I sinned, even as a Christian when I sinned, that just as he turned his back on Jesus at the cross, he had to turn his back on me and that he had to leave and go away. He couldn't be around me. And I begin to think, well, when I watch a movie I shouldn't or hear a song I shouldn't, does he close his eyes and does he close his ears or does he just walk out of the room or what does he do? And that, this, is what I've, this is what I struggled with for so long. But I understand now what the Holy Spirit means. It's a promise that he is with me always. And that's a big deal, church. Amen. He's with you all the time. Wherever you walk, he's with you. Wherever you go, he's with you. Wherever you sleep, he's with you when you're reading a book. He's with you when you're watching a movie. He's with you when you're eating Mexican food. He is with you. He's with you all the time. That's a promise with us wherever we go. And that is a promise that the Old Testament saints did not have. 
but it's a promise we got. And it's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Promise for us. John chapter 7 says this. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit <clears throat> whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So streams of living water. Streams of living water. So God gave you and me a promise that no one in the Old Testament had that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and he would be with us at all times. That's one of the promises. Let's look at the next one. The second one is very much like the first one, akin to the first one, and that is that we will receive power through the Holy Spirit. So not only is he with us, but it's going to be a powerful thing for him to be with us. Powerful how? Will we be able to leap tall buildings at a single bound? Will we be able to stop bullets with our teeth? There may be some people who can do that, <laughs> but I can't. Can you? Right now I'm confined to this thing, so there's no way I could. You know, I don't even like to. I don't even like to jump up out of this thing. But what what do we mean? Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So we talked about how the power was displayed on the apostles when they were able to speak in different tongues. But also, let's talk about the power that you and I have within us as children, as his children, as children of God. Um, it's just as powerful as what happened with the disciples. Uh, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he told them this in Ephesians chapter 3, that God would strengthen them with the power through his spirit in their inner being. And he would do that because he is able, as Scripture says, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And that, that adds another dimension to Scripture like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because I think of all the times in my life as a, as a believer that I have said, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. I'm not able to do that. I'm not, I don't have the ability to do that. Now, it's different than me saying, I believe God has not gifted me in that area. I believe maybe you're, you're more gifted in that area than I am. But for me to say I can't do it, I mean, but Scripture says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's what he's saying. God's spirit inside of us, it strengthens us. And I'm able to do more because he is able to do more than I could ask or imagine what Scripture says. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. So that spirit that's in us is not a spirit of fear. But... Of power is what it says. Of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline. So I'm able to, according to the Spirit, and because of the Spirit, I have everything I need for life and godliness. I have everything that I need to live the life that He has created me to live. And so when the Spirit comes in and and, he, and I'm enabled 
and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, then what I have is God's kind of power inside of me. And when I say I can't do this and I can't do that or I can't stop doing this or I can't stop doing that, I don't realize that I have God's kind of discipline inside of me. And when I say I can't love that person or they're not they're not worth loving or they don't love me, how can I love them? Because I have God's kind of love inside of me because of the spirit of God, because of God's spirit inside of me, because here's what he did. When I got saved, the spirit came to live inside of me and he began to mess around with me a little bit and he began to tinker with me here and tinker with me there. And he began to change me. He was changing me and he was making me different and he was molding me and he was shaping me until I began to reflect the God that put his spirit in me to begin with. And that's what he did with you as well. Now, I can, quench, I can quench and I can grieve the Spirit and I can be disobedient and not listen and I can walk according to the flesh instead of walking according to the Spirit. But when I do what that song says, have your own way, Lord, have your own way, and I listen and I let Him do what He wants to do, then, then He does that shaping and He does that molding and then you will begin to reflect. You will begin to reflect that God that's inside of you which is exactly what he intended. Because when that happens, then you become, you become a fruit tree, according to Galatians. And things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control begin to present themselves in your life and the way you live and the way you interact with other people. All because, not because of your power, but all because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power that the Holy Spirit has. And this is the power that the Holy Spirit wants to exert in my life and in your life. And of course, the, the, the um, pessimist will say, or the, the seeker will ask, well, I've seen people that aren't saved that are loving. I've seen people that aren't saved that are patient. I've seen people that aren't saved do good things. So why is it important for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit then? Well, because it's like I said earlier, because there because it's not his power. I need to be filled with his kind of power. Somebody explained it to me this way, and I'm going to try to explain it to you as well. You know, you got some cars that have four cylinders. And those four cylinder cars can get you where you need to go. You know, they can take you to the mountains. They can take you to the beach. You can weigh it down with luggage. It might go a little slower, but as long as it's tuned up and you got gas and you get the oil change in there, then you're going to get to go. You're going to go where you need to go. And and but sometimes it's just underpowered and it just doesn't have enough power and it's just not quite strong enough for your needs and where you need to go. So you take that engine out, you put a stronger engine in and you have more strength. And more ability. And that's kind of what it is with, with the Holy Spirit. With His Spirit in me, I have unlimited strength. I have unlimited ability. Not to mention that that's really the way I was created to be anyway. With, with His kind of power, His kind of love, and His kind of strength inside of me. I think that for people who don't have the Spirit of God... Sometimes 
You, they just get tired of being good. They just get tired of being patient. They just get tired of being loving. But I believe with the powerful Holy Spirit within us and a realization of that, we're able to do a far above and beyond what we ever dreamed possible because of his power within us. And who wouldn't want the Holy Spirit within them knowing that God did what he did for us because he loves us? Like we've already talked about so many times this morning. You know, I want his, I'm glad his spirit is within me. I don't know what my life would have been like without it. And I don't want to think about it, but I'm so grateful for it. And it's a promise that he made and it's a promise that he kept. And he has never withdrawn it. He will not take a big, uh, I don't know, a big syringe and stick it in me and suck it out of me one day. He's not going to do that. He said, I'll be with you. I'll always be with you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will be with you. And he's always kept that promise. So he promised his spirit and he promised power through the Holy Spirit. And that's really, really great. And it's, it's really all I need in this world until I get to this last promise. And let me tell you about it real quick before we leave. And that's, this is the one I think that got the most response when I mentioned it earlier. The promise that he is going to come back. And he's going to return. He's going to come back to get us and take us with him. Now that scripture that we read earlier today in Acts chapter 1, we read about when Jesus ascended and we read about there were two angels that appeared and they said in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven is going to come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And he had also told the disciples back in John, Hey, don't, don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, you can be there also. That that shows me more promise. And it shows me that he really wants me there. And that he really wants you there. And that's another big deal for us as human beings. We want to be wanted. We want to be loved. And we want to know that if there ever was a time when we were apart from each other, that we were missed. These are natural things that we feel these are emotions that God has given us. And he satisfies and fulfills every single one of those. Every single one of those. So it's almost like this is an even better promise than the promises that we've talked about already. He's promised us his spirit. He's promised us power through his spirit. And now he's promised that I'm going to come back and get you. And you know... I can say that it's a better promise because I want you to think about this. And I thought I thought this is really interesting to think about for a few minutes. Anyway, think about this. Even if I've got God's spirit inside of me and even if I have the power that the Holy Spirit provides at my disposal and I have the power of the spirit within me, if Jesus is not coming back for me, then the grave is going to be the end for me. Okay? If the promise of him coming back is not there, then the grave is going to be my final resting place. This is all there is, 
and there ain't no more. Right? And while it's still good, this last promise makes everything else better. He is coming back. He is coming back. First Peter chapter 3 says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. So we take that verse and we understand that there is going to be a day that he is going to come. But we, know, we don't know when that day is. It's going to come like a thief in the night. We don't know when, that, when that's going to be. But we look forward to that. Because just like the Old Testament church, Old Testament saints uh, relied on God's promises. And when he made a promise, they, they could count on it being kept. And, and, and they could stand on that promise. Just like they could do, we can do the same thing with the promise that he is going to come back. And you know, when you got when you got company coming and it's a special person, you want to be ready for them, don't you? We got to be ready. And we think, well, as a Christian, I am ready. But I want to be as ready as I possibly can. So how can how can I prepare for him coming? What what can I do? And initially the the most important thing is you just gotta know him. You gotta know him in the way that he wants you to know him. You've got to let him save you. You've got to accept the gift of salvation that he so freely offers to you. And if there's anyone in here today that has not done that, you can do that today. You can do that today. But to be prepared for when he comes back, and he is coming back, you've got to know him. You've got to turn from, I've got to turn from my way of living and my will and turn towards him and what he wants for my life. Because he is, the, he is the living God, the true and living God. And I believe that he is the creator. And I believe that his son Jesus came to this world to, to die on a cross, to shed his blood, to pay for my sin that I could not pay for myself. And then he was put in a grave. He actually died. Yes, I believe that. He died and, and he had told them that he was going to die. And he did die. So there's another thing. That shows that you can count on what he says. But he rose again. He rose again and he made a promise. I'm going to prepare a place. And I'm going to come back and get you. And I'm going to take you with me. And that's a blessed, blessed promise. Just like scripture said he would. He's coming back. We can count on it. Um, Romans chapter 10 tells us. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. John chapter 14 says tells us he says i will come again i will come again so what should our stance be what should our thought process be what should we be doing now right now and i think what you and i should be doing is we should be watchful we should keep an ear listening for the trumpet and we should be looking towards the eastern sky because I don't believe that it's going to be that long. And I know men have said that for thousands of years. I don't know. Maybe they felt the same way I do. I just feel a sense of things coming to an end. I don't know if that's just me wanting things to come to an end because I think just like many have told me, I have said this quite often. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
I'm ready. I'm ready for you to come. But just as, as we read a few minutes ago, his desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there is, he knows the time. He knows the best time. And he wants to give people an opportunity. Aren't you glad that you were given an opportunity? And aren't you glad you seized that opportunity? So we need to be watchful and, and, and look for the signs. And truly knowing, truly knowing the promises that God has made to us and that he keeps those promises, how does that affect your, your daily living? How does that affect uh, your moment-by-moment moment existence? When, when you reach your lowest, do you pop right back up and say, this is really stinking bad. But one day I'm going to be in heaven and I'm not even going to remember this. And this is going to, this is for a purpose. God, I know it. You said that, you said, this is something else you said, Lord, that I count on. You said, I'm going to have trouble. I'm going to have some trouble here. But you've already overcome all of this. And you're bringing me through this for a, for a reason and for a purpose. And I'm just counting on that purpose and I'm counting on that promise. And that's the way I want to live my life, counting on the promises of God, standing on the promises of God. It is so easy for me to be, to, to be in despair when I look at the world and I see the condition of things. And sometimes you just don't see the truth prevailing like you want it to. You don't see it changing the lives of people the way you want it to. But it's their choice. It's their decision. Some people choose self. Some people choose power uh, and, and, and things of that nature instead of God. And they don't realize that, that God is all-powerful. And what he offers is so much better than anything that the world has to offer. So we, we are watchful. And we are listening. And we are looking. And we're expecting. God's people should be expecting people that are expecting expecting what well expecting god to come back when at any time only he knows and you can count on it you can count on him coming back and i'm going to finish with this and this is how he is described and i think this is a, a, a beautiful picture of the power and the strength and the might of the one who conquered sin and death and hell just like that. While the world watched and really many had no idea he was taking care of the biggest problem that mankind has ever had and ever will have. And then he has given us the opportunity to tell people about it so they can get in on this as well. You and I can count on every promise that comes from the lips of the one who is described like this in Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, 
white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the one, this is the one who said, I will come again. And you and I can count on that promise. 